0: You are now listening to Grinding True Crimes with your hosts, Maddie Matt, Todd Fox, and Gabby Gab. Hey,
2: hey, hey, welcome to another episode of the Grinding True Crime Podcast with your host, Maddie Matt, along with our narrator for today,
0: Todd Fox. And the other host of the show,
2: welcome back to... Gabby Gabby. And we're all back. We're here. We're live. We're going to give you guys a show for today. But before we kick that off, let's let you guys know where you can find us. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, uh, Podbean, iHeartRadio, all those good stuff. Just look us up under Riding True Crime Podcast, and there you can find some of our old recordings that we recorded and some of our recent shows that we've done uh, in the past few weeks. With all that being said, Todd is back on. He is going to tell us a story, and he is about to take it away. Todd, what you got for us today?
0: Well, today, first off, before I get to that, I wanted just to remind you guys to listen to the Girl in the Box three-part episode that was really good that Matt did, so check that out. That was the previous three episodes. And this one today, though, has to do with a city that the atrocity was so bad they changed their name right after to avoid bad publicity. So oh. this is the Wineville Chicken Coop Murders.
1: Oh, oh, what? Yep. Wait, what?
0: You're talking
1: about Changeling.
0: Yep, I'm talking about also an area very close to you guys.
1: Yep, I, my, my sis from another mister lives around there
0: yep yep oh, so it sounds like
2: someone's familiar with it I have no idea so I'm, I'm in for a <laughs> treat so what will we got
0: Todd <laughs> okay well this is the area called Rancho Jurupera it's actually um, Jurupera Valley but it was uh, it was granted to by the Mexican government by Senator Don uh, no no Senator Juan Bandini on September 28th 1838 so this oh, this, man, this yeah this area goes back a bit um Originally known as Wineville, it is located in the modern-day Jurupa Valley area of an un- un- unincorporated Riverside County. It is separated from the city of Riverside by the Santa Ana River to the south and it borders the Ontario Fontana area of the San Bernardino County to the north and west. He's and Definitely uh, hitting home. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, the community officially changed its name from Wineville on November 1st, 1930 to what now is Mira Loma, due in large part to the negative publicity surrounding the Wineville Chicken Coop murders.
2: What?
0: Yeah, Yeah. So, and there's there's also another creepier part about it. If you're in the area, maybe you guys can go tour it. There's a spot where you can go still see a certain something. Um, Ooh, hey, tell us. Yeah, I'll, I'll I'll tell you that. Um, Gordon Stewart Northcott is who we're going to talk about today. Gordon
2: he, Stewart.
0: Yep, Gordon Stewart Northcott. He was uh, born November 9th, nineteen oh six. Gordon Stewart. Oh my gosh. Yeah, Go, <laughs> Gordon Stewart.
2: Birthday. <laughs>
0: are we hitting her birthday? <laughs> this is like are the these second time.
1: On my birthday. What's <laughs> up with that?
0: <laughs> That's the second killer. Am I right? Yes. <laughs> oh man. Okay, so... <laughs>
1: what the heck? Watch what out, Matt. If you, don't, if you, don't don't
0: you better bring them flowers. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> so he was born in Saskatchewan, Canada, which is like the most Canadian name you could think of, and raised in okay. Br- British Columbia. Um, he, he moved to Los Angeles, however, with his parents in 1924. Northcott asked... Okay. Northcott asked his uh, parents to purchase a lot of uh, or a lot of a plot of land in Wineville, California. Now, this is a little bit in the future. I'm just giving you a little overview. On this on this land, Gordon uh, built a chicken ranch and a house with the help of his father, who was in the construction business, and his nephew Sanford. <clears throat> it was a pretext, um, or it was a pretext to the uh, building of the chicken ranch in Wineville. That Northcott used to bring Samford, his nephew, uh, to the United States. So that's a little overview of how it started. But let's get back into when he was a kid. Um, right. George and Louise Northcott had just lost their youngest son due to an illness at the age of six, and so when when the couple realized that they were pregnant again, it seemed like a very like very bad timing because they were still grieving the six-year-old. Um, Louise was so angry; she took out her anger on her daughter, the oldest daughter, and the husband. She tried really hard to give herself an abortion from pills and over-exercising. Um, George and her got into frequent arguments, and sometimes he would punch her in the stomach. This, despite the husband's efforts, plus the mother's um uh, efforts stewart was born health, healthy uh just months later so go figure um go figure. yeah maybe that had some damages we'll talk about later um huh? at first louise was taking care of Stuart, feeding him and nursing him but then that changed she actually became obsessed over stewart and her temper and physic uh physicality towards the husband stopped both George and her husband and the daughter enjoyed, enjoyed the new attitude from Louisa, the mother, and, and it came it, the family began to actually get close and a little bit kinder to one another. However, <laughs> she would dress Gordon sometimes in girl clothes, all the way up to five years old. So uh, it's kind of a red flag, right? <laughs>
2: Yeah, definitely, definitely. She was cuckoo already. Yeah,
0: you she was some on some high with the rock. <laughs> She was cuckoo for cocoa puffs. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Real. So as uh, he grew up, he had tendencies of feminine traits. <laughs> wonder why? Um, and he had a. Oh, yeah. And he had a feminine voice as well. <clears throat> uh, he was called he was called fairy by the kids in school. Granted. His mother spoiled the crap out of him and would talk down to or get in the face of anyone who teased him badly. So she was one of those parents that came to school and would just chew out one of the other children. Instead of, you know, fighting the battles for the kid, instead of letting the kid fight his own battles. Uh, so, um... Oh,
1: so she stepped in?
0: Yes, yeah, she stepped in and cr- uh, created quite the scene in town and then at school as well.
2: That actually does not work well for the kids.
0: No. That just gets more scrutiny t- back towards them, you know what I mean? More backlash. Yep. <clears throat> so, his father George was the only one to ever tell him no at all. Basically, the the daughter and the and the uh, mother always caved in, gave him anything that he wanted to. He threw a tantrum, give in. It didn't matter. Um, the times that he would bring back, uh, wait, it says, uh, oh yeah. So the blowouts came usually when Gordon would throw a tantrum and he didn't get what he wanted to and that would start the arguments with a family again um, mm-hmm. S- Stewart would throw tantrums even into his teenager years um, like I said even the sister had spoiled him it was ridiculous so Stewart however became really flamboyant and began to play the piano in town and he really got good and began to get paid for playing at local uh, events in town so he, they were in the Los Angeles area at this time um, okay however at the time of 17 close to 18 he began to have a want to get the attention of young boys he bought a convertible at the time in 1921 and began to drive around town with candy and toys offering young boys a ride that same year although uh what was that
1: no I'm like nasty
0: mm-hmm he was already starting um, that same year, although not shown much around his face, his body became overly hairy, and kids and adults would start calling him the Ape Boy. So, yeah. So, being made so fun he's of... 17.
2: He's still 17 at this time,
0: right? Yeah, he's still 17, but he's gotten, like, I guess puberty gave him a death blow, and he's, like, super hairy, and he's flamboyant, and he, has, he talks feminine. So...
2: That's, that's definitely not
0: an attractive man yeah and back then like i said you can go back to like the 90s and there was still like a you you, you could say certain slurs and it wouldn't you know it was normal imagine back then you know what i mean towards mm. people that were homosexual or whatever mm-hmm. so being made fun of uh wild tr- uh, trying to stand out as preppy uh he was trying to stand out or trying not to stand out but he was preppy and flamboyant and he played the piano, so he there's no way of getting around that.
2: There's no masculine there.
0: Nope, not at all. Uh, in August, we fast forward to 1924. His family moved from Canada, like I said, to Los Angeles, where uh, Stewart worked at a car dealership and played in local clubs at night uh, and uh, played on the piano uh, in the clubs to also make uh, money for the, the family when they were just starting out. <clears throat> um His charming wit would actually find him a friend that he got close with. He became real good friends with a fellow uh, 18-year-old boy by the name of Claude. Um, The two hung out a lot, and Stuart often went over to the family's house having dinner and hanging out. All normal, right? But, Mm -hmm. however, Stuart was going over for different reasons. Claude's Mm -hmm. 10-year-old brother that he found himself attracted to. At this time, oh. yeah, <laughs> not good. I was
1: going to think it was Claude and him. I
0: thought it was Claude, yeah. <laughs> no, no, it's that Claude's too old for him, apparently. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, so um, at this time, Stuart began to molest the younger brother every time he would stay over or come by. So he's already doing some dastardly stuff. Um, yeah. I, And I forgot to have you warn the people about the crimes against children in this one. So, oops, my bad. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Stewart had an obsession with the boy, and when he would have a tantrum, even at his age, with his parents, the only thing that would calm him down is playing the boy's favorite song on the piano. There was no timetable on how long the abused uh, the abusiveness towards Claude's brother continued. However, on July twenty fifth, nineteen twenty five, the Scott family, which was Claude's family, um, caught caught uh, Northcott in in the uh, process of doing some pretty dastardly things, I guess when they checked in on him in the room or something, and they called the police. Um, Scott was arrested. Northcott was arrested. Problem is, um, charges were dropped for whatever reason. So wow. there is no record of any reason why it was dropped, but here is that case in point where something happens where you can stop somebody if charges are filed, if they're arrested, and for whatever reason, they get that one lucky break and it starts them off into heinous behavior. Yep. So... Yeah. So, to forget the young boy, and after an embarrassing arrest, Stewart got a job at a bag... as a grocery store bagger at a Ralph's grocery store. This job would... Uh, makes makes only the story because at the time guess who was one of the kids that would come by with his mom to that particular Ralph's grocery store and if you know the story like I'm sure Gabby does in the movie Changeling the main character is the boy Walter Collins and his mom and Walter Collins actually makes his first appearance to, uh, to Mr. Northcott and Northcott sees him and uh, he's immediately smitten by him and wants to try to get close to Collins. And this will come up later on as she, as he winds up being the famous son of Christine Collins, who, it, which she has her own story we'll get into real quick. Um, okay. I'm
2: so, lost, but y'all, y'all fill me in.
0: Yeah, I'll fill you in, but just, <laughs> just try to stay with it, man. Just try to stay with it. I'm, I'm in. Okay. <laughs> um, so Clint Eastwood would make that 2008 movie called Changeling that would pretty much sum up everything but we're going to get into more of what northcott did and what his nephew did so as we move on back to our story stewart's fascination with boys urges and and just sexual desires is getting too much so at the time there was a a area small couple blocks in pasadena called orojo and it was an area that was a seedy area sort of like just like your. Back streets you didn't want to go down to, to nowadays with drugs and, you know, prostitutes. It was like that, but with um, boys turning tricks for older men. Um, yeah, Stuart would frequent this area and solic- solicit teenage boys for sex. At the time, gay was illegal and looked down on. So Stuart was confronted uh, – Stuart at this time confronted a doctor in the neighborhood with that mindset of trying to change his ways of thinking – and then also get like he was fascinated by uh, the doctor and, and how he practiced on um, dead bodies and, and also the way you know the way uh, the hot, like he was given the doctor the impression that he wanted to turn his life around and also be a practitioner himself mm-hmm. um, Stewart would ask Tracy which was the doctor about what happens to bodies when they would die however and Stuart asked a question that should have thrown red flags to the doctor when he asked how to properly dispose of a body. <laughs>
1: what? Wow. Yeah, that's a and red flag. Nobody blood. All right. saw anything. They didn't suspect from that.
0: No, the doctor was probably like, wow, this guy has a lot of questions.
1: Oh, <laughs> <Well>, that's dark. <laughs>
0: Yeah. Very
1: fascinating. Yeah, we have,
0: we have a lot of idiots in our stories, that's for sure. Whether it's Gabby's wow. story, whether it's our, my story or Matt's, there's always the, the bungling cops or the idiots that, that don't stop things when they should. That's always, <laughs> that's always the case. Um, Jesus Christ. Yeah. <laughs> so in 1926, um, after he actually got some answers on how to properly dispose of a body, get rid of the body, Uh, how a body decomposes he stopped seeing the doctor and the doctor again did not see this as a red flag so in 1926 that's when he asked his father about getting some land in wineville that he can start a chicken farm and grow his own you know get responsibilities because he was trying to prove to his dad also that he wanted to be a productive human being in society and he was tired of living at home for free and getting, you know. He had a job, a part-time thing, but he wanted to do something on his own. So his father was like, hey, man, let's do it, you know. So, how, huh?
2: No, I was going to say, how old is he by now? Has years passed or is he still around 17,
0: 18? He's around 19 or 20 around this time. Okay. Yeah. So in the spring of 19... 19- so
1: wants to be independent now.
0: Yeah, he wants to be independent. He wants to be alone, but... but he had ulterior motives but his parents thought oh he's just doing the right thing so Uh,
1: give him the money build him the house our son is growing up
0: yes exactly so in the spring of 1926 the family purchased that land in wineville which sat on five acres so before he got the chickens he traveled back to canada to visit his sister um, or his his aunt and and his uncles over there in canada actually it was his father's side of the family Stuart asked um, his aunt if he could take her 14 um, year old boy, Samford, because uh, he wanted to help him grow up into a man and start getting his hands dirty. And it would be, you know, the two of them down there and they could bond together. So. Literally get it and get it. <laughs> yep. I'm <laughs> oh, sorry, you said <laughs> <laughs> I see what you did there.
2: <laughs> Got it. <laughs>
0: But he he wanted to have, you know, alone time with his nephew and he felt he could help him run the chicken farm. So, again, um, the family is smitten with freaking North with a Stewart and they want to give him whatever he whatever he wants. So (coughs) Samford did not act. uh, Sanford did not like the idea because he would be all alone with his uncle who always weirded him out in the past. And he felt like something was not right with him mentally. Um, Sanford's sister, um, uh, or, um, what do you call it? Uh, Northcott's, uh, aunt also babied him and, and would let her, uh, would let him go with, uh, the 19 year old, uh, to, to freaking California. She just said, okay, go for it. And Sanford's 19, uh, Sanford also hated how Stewart would, would, uh, stand always too close to him and uncomfortable. So, Samford was not liking the fact that not only did his mom say it was okay to go, the fact that he was visibly shaken and, and was telling them, I, "I don't feel comfortable," and nobody listened to him. Um, wow. Yeah. So actually, not not Sam uh, not the uh, Dennett not Stewart was twenty one. I'm sorry, I'm confusing myself. Um, the, his Samford's older sister was nineteen and she still lived at home. Samford immediately complained to her to his older sister who was 19, Jesse, that was her name, uh, to try to convince her to talk to her parents to say, no, we're not going to let him go. You know, don't let him go. She's she's trying to fight for her brother. As she did this, she got backlash from her mo- mother and father, and they both told her to stand down and that Sanford's going to go and become a man out in California.
2: Hmm.
0: So <clears throat> they should have listened.
2: Poor
0: kid. Yep. And you'll see what, what uh, their unfortunate uh, actions caused poor Samford. Um, Jessie promised, though, Samford, that she would come and visit him when it, whenever she could. She had a small job and would try to get down there. Remember, from Canada, from the West Coast, you either have to you know take the rails or some sort of like drive or take a, a boat. So it was going to take her a while to get down there, to save up and to go down. That's a long trip. mm um, <laughs> So either way, uh, Sanford promised to write her, and he was off. And the two set off for Wineville. When they got to Wineville, uh, the, the family had already purchased the area. It was five acres of land. There was nothing else out there, and their, fir- their closest neighbors were miles away. Um, wow. Sanford spent the first month with Stewart and the father building the, the uh, one-and-a-half-bedroom cottage house. And building six chicken coops on the ranch as well in different areas to, um, to house the chickens and raise them and, you know, the eggs and all that other stuff. So not much furniture was in the house besides Stewart's piano and a bed and riggedy old couches or whatever. And a garage where uh, Samford's convertible was parked. Not Samford's, uh, Stewart's convertible. Uh, another thing that the, the problem was it was super remote and it was far from the city too. So not only were you like two, three miles from your neighbor, you're far from any kind of city. So they were on the outskirts of Wineville. Um,
1: Where nobody could hear
2: you.
0: Yes, exactly. And that's exactly what, what Stuart wanted. Um, mm-hmm. The first night after George, uh, or that, and so once the house was built, once the chicken coops were built, the father who had been staying there too, he took off for Los Angeles and left the two alone. So the first night that George left the house with Sanford there alone with his son, um, Sanford made beans, a big crock pot of it with some uh, cornbread, and um, Stuart uh, demanded to be served first. As he did, he uh, proceeded to eat almost all of the beans and the cornbread, leaving just scraps and a little bit left for Sanford on purpose. Um yeah, and after dinner Stuart was on the piano, just playing away all happy and fed, and Samford uh did his usual rounds checking the chickens and uh once he came back inside, Stuart was in the bedroom leaving him just the couch and uh but then but then he felt uh and he felt like really he felt really like um, betrayed in a way because he felt like this is how it's going to be you know like it was like sort of like shattering to the poor 14 year old Sanford. he's like damn you know like he's going to take advantage of me he's going to want to tease me he's going to want to do this kind of stuff and
1: he just brought him to be his maid
0: pretty much and the way that flamboyant people are I'm just saying they don't like to get their hands dirty so guess who's going to do all the work while they're down there
1: Stanford
0: Yep. Good old Samford. So the next night, Samford was shocked after the same stuff was repeated. You know, Stuart ate the same food uh, or same amount of food, leaving him just with scraps. And But the thing that was shocked him, though, was that Samford was given the bed. And he said, no, go ahead. I'm just going to stay out here and play on my piano. You can go um, and sleep in the bed. It's your turn. And Samford found this really weird. So... He went to sleep and kind of sleeping with one eye open. And then he's. I would. <laughs> yeah. Um, he woke up to Stuart uh, breathing heavy on his neck. Ew. Yeah. So, realizing now Sanford was just going to be a victim, he would get sexually abused three times or more during a week. And he would tell him he was now a fairy. And no one would believe him since he no longer was pure. So, he used the whole homosexual angle on him and the whole biblical, like, you're not pure anymore, so you're just as bad as me.
1: So, he could be ashamed and then he wouldn't
0: get told on. Yeah, I mean, this guy was breaking him down mentally. Wow. Yeah, that's true. Um, So, he can... He convinced Samford that he was also committing a wrong, and others would view him as a pervert. Stewart would goof off during the day while Samford worked all day on the farm. And Stewart didn't enroll him in the high school or in the school in general, like he promised the family. Plus, the sexual abuse morphed into actual physical abuse with beatings. He would sometimes be beat with a tire iron. And one time, he poured hot water on Samford, scolding him and leaving a scar. Yes. Um, Samford would have to yell and scream as hard as he could every time so that Stuart would stop. He would realize that this was the only time that he would stop is if he yelled loud enough or hard enough. Stuart would have also... Um, have. St- Stewart also changed things up by having Stanford beat him. He liked the pain Wait, for what? some. Yeah, <laughs> he he would have him he would make him throw punches at him or hit him with certain things.
1: He's creepy. Oh. Yeah,
0: Whoa. yeah. This, this those kind of things weren't brought up in the movie. <laughs> no.
2: Yeah, I don't. I didn't see anything about that. Dominatrix.
0: <laughs> yeah, and he liked to switch roles apparently. So, um. He was enjoying the pain so much that it gave him sexual gratification. Um, Stuart would have Samford write home letters, and he dictated and stated how great farm life was, growing vegetables and enjoying the sun, also going to school and meeting new friends. And he was loving the fact that Stuart took such good care of him, and they also went into town and enjoyed Stuart's piano playing in front of all the other people in town, which... All of course were lies. That
1: is so messed
0: up. Yeah. So, wow. and so this is like months. This is months going on now that this is happening. <clears throat> um. So, um, and the beatings actually stopped for a little while. And um, at the end of uh, August 1927, when Junior Thompson were a loc, uh, were at a local park, Junior was a little kid he wandered off from his family then a strange young man offered the boy candy then asked the boy to if he could tickle him the boy wanted to walk away but Stuart said he has a dog or I have a dog Uh, come see my dog it's in the car and Stuart was the, the the guy trying to abduct the little kid so the so the boy went to the car to see the dog as soon as he, he got to the car. Stuart tried to put him in the car, and, the, and little junior fought and screamed so loud that his father charged the car with a knife that he had in his hand from making sandwiches. And Stuart let the boy go and drove off. Stuart wanted the little boy really bad and because um, he was getting a little bored of Samford. So when he drove back from L.A. or the Pasadena area to go uh, with no kid, he took it out on Sanford, beat the crap out of him. Um, hey. Yeah.
1: Oh, So he didn't get caught.
0: No, he didn't get caught that time either. So, um, what do you think? What do you think this close call did for Stewart? I think
2: it enhanced his his desire, and he wanted to go even further.
0: Yep. What do you think, Gabby?
1: I think the same like he was not ready to give up he was not going to accept that he was defeated by not getting
0: what he wanted so he was going to look for what he wanted and, and get it exactly he um unfortunately didn't have the mindset of giving up you guys are right um this close call taught stewart a lesson so on february 1st 1928 we mentioned a date stewart came up with a plan and that day stewart uh, returned from los angeles with a smile on his face Samford had been watching the farm all day and knew knew anything that brought a smile to his uncle's face was a bad thing. He drove up in the convertible smiling. He He yelled as Samford was finishing up his chores for Samford to come to the car. He said, look at the pot, which Samford reluctantly approached the car. And as he looked in the pot, what do you think he saw?
2: A boy. A couple of boys tied
0: up. We're no we're talking about we're talking about like a pot, like that you would cook like stew in or something.
2: Oh, 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 oh. A pot pot. Oh okay. Mm-hmm. Uh dang. beans.
0: <laughs> he wishes it was beans.
2: <laughs> he felt dismembered body parts.
0: Close. Very close. Uh, it was a Ooh. severed head.
2: Oh what?
0: yep.
1: Of a
0: little boy? Yep. Um, Sanford immediately threw up, and all he could hear was his brother, his uncle, laughing in the most evil, diabolical laugh imaginable. Um, he, Stuart said when he, when Sanford calmed down, that the boy attacked him, so he shot the boy, then chopped his head off so that nobody can identify the body. And he told him the rest of the body was in the trunk. So, there's a bo- there's a body in the trunk of the convertible. There's a severed head in a pot that's now in the car. What do you think these two do now to um, remedy the situation? Especially, if, or what do you think they do with the head? Is basically what I should ask. I think
2: they cook the head, and eat it, <laughs> uh, they they chop up the body part and feed it to their chickens.
0: Those are pretty good. Answers, but no, those don't happen. What do you, what do you got, Gabby?
1: I think they um, they definitely bury the body because if I remember correctly in the story, he would bury them under the chicken coop. Oh, there was like an area where it looked like a a bonfire area, and he would dig up that area and just throw the kids' bodies there.
0: Yeah, that was that was one. This is the first one though. They don't do the same thing with this one though. But you are you are correct though on the on the other ones, and we'll get to that. But what they did was, the two, and this is this is unimaginable. But freaking Stewart made Samford, uh, build a fire, and on that same area that Gabby was talking about, and he made him take a shovel, and pretty much bash the skull, when the, when the meat fell off the the skull bashed the skull so many times until it almost vaporized into dust and it would blow away with the rest of the ash. Yep. Wow. So here's another twist in the story because we're still not up to the movie part. We're getting close to the movie where it actually starts. But the next morning Stuart left for Los Angeles to visit his parents and on the way on a remote stretch of uh, road leading into Los Angeles. They just took the body out of the back of the trunk and dumped it in a ditch. Um, Samford sat in the front seat scared, thinking, how long would it be till I'm that same body in the ditch? So Mm. just a day later, or, or just a couple days later, February 2nd, 1928, a farmer on Puente Boulevard, when driving by the ditch, his dog was walking outside of the tractor and he was on top of the tractor and the dog ran over to the ditch he saw and that's where the um the farmer jumped off the the tractor walked over and saw the small decapitated body he alerted the local sheriff and um as he was at the same time as this was going on stewart and samford arrived at stewart's family's house at dinner stewart shocked his parents and shocked samford when he told them about the murder. <gasps> Sam, wow. Yeah, Samford figured that the mom and dad would call the cops, or at least freak out. But both were very supportive of Samford, or not Samford, of Stuart, and the mother rushed to hug Stuart and vowed that she would protect him. She believed the story of... What so- a
1: creepy family.
0: Yeah, she believed the story of self-defense. So... Wow. Samford was crushed that his that uh, that the mother Louise uh, said that it wasn't Stewart's fault at the same time the sheriffs could find no evidence on the boy or or, uh, no evidence of how or who the boy was how he was killed or the fact that uh, they had no identification they thought he was and they only knew him as possibly a Latino boy and that he was a son of a migrant worker and they figured that the family had left the area so that the police actually had put the case on on the shelf basically like well the family left the uh, you know something happened to the boy and we're, we're never going to find the family
1: so they never got a missing child's report
0: nothing nope nothing so on March 10th nearly a month later 1928 as Samford was tending to the farm Stewart showed up with a with a 9-year-old boy Walter Collins.
2: Oh
0: man. Yep. The boy from the supermarket he had seen when he worked at the grocery store in the Los Angeles area. Wow. Uh, yeah. So Walter was the featured victim in the movie Changeling. Walter was now 2 hours from home from the Pasadena home. And when they arrived at the farm, Stuart took Walter into the chicken coop and immediately sexually assaulted him. He was left out there chained up by himself. Samford heard him crying the first night and screaming most of the night to where Samford couldn't sleep. So Samford at this time is getting, getting pretty much deprived of, of food for the most part, or at least the amount he should be eating. He's not going to school he's working all day into the evening and then at night you know he's being kept up by the boy screaming so Sanford is just and then the stuff he's seen too so um, <clears throat> so uh, Sanford wanted to sp- spring Walter but where would they go since they're so far from people and just a, and he and his brother had a shotgun or his uh, not his brother his uncle so right now Sanford is just he he doesn't know what to do he's Physically, emotionally shot and just terrified. Um, Yeah, so just a couple days later, though, however, here's where the plot thickens even more. And this part was not brought up in the movie as well. The movie actually depicted Walter as getting away for a little while and then them not actually knowing the full just of what happened. But the Uh the truth of this story is even more diabolical than the movie. So, Stuart's mom makes a surprise visit two days later. And she shows up at the house. And Stuart tries to keep her from the the, uh, chicken coops. And she knows something's up. She walks into the chicken coop where Samford actually grins because he's thinking, okay, mom's going to see the little boy chained up. She's going to realize that this is a problem. And she's going to solve this. And maybe this is my ticket to get home. This is a ticket for the kid to get home. And we're all done, right? And mm-hmm. this is this is all you know, she can't be this myopic, right? Mm-hmm. Uh she grabbed Stuart and Samford and she walked them out in front of the chicken coop. What do you think Louise said to both of them?
2: Ooh. Finish it.
0: What do you think, Matt? You're
2: I'm going to say she said you're going to have to kill him
0: because, you know, you're going to get caught eventually. You both are correct. <laughs> you both are correct. Um, she would explain her plan, uh, stating to both of them that they all had to take part in killing Walter because they had to share the blame so that one would not rat on the other. So Stuart picked up the axe, and he hit Walter... Uh, With it for the first time, then Samford was forced to also hit the boy with an axe. He's still alive. Then Louisa delivered the death blow to the head. Samford was left to dig the grave while the mother and son went inside, cradling each other. And then he could hear the piano play as he's digging the grave for the poor kid.
1: Oh my God! That woman! Oh my God! Is strangled.
0: Because, like I said in the movie, they have Walter as a hero, springing other kids loose, and then yeah. him getting eventually caught by Stewart again. But they never really say what really happened to him. But that's this is what really happened to Walter, and they, and they know why, and I'll tell you why later on in the story how they know that's how it went down. Um, so this just dist-
1: wonder if that kid is so twisted.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: His mother's
0: a freaking psycho. Yep. It's terrible. So, Sanford was destroyed mentally. Like, any hopes, any like shred of hope he had of just returning somewhat to normalcy is gone. And now he's feeling like a monster. Now he's feeling just as guilty as everyone else. So, he was shaking and, <clears throat> and crying as he dug the uh the grave for the walters boy and it didn't help that the walters boy was still looking at him as he's digging the grave you know what i mean like the eyes were open um he just wanted to go home he was tired of everything he was a broken boy at 15 years old on march 15 5- so exactly <clears throat> on march 15th the los angeles times reported the missing child walter collins His mother, Christine Collins, would never see her son again. In the movie, uh, she actually has a child claiming to be Walter a year later, and he looks like him. Or not a year later, a, a month later, actually. The Los Angeles Police Department do reunite the two, and she thinks that it's her son until she gets him into the bath, and she sees that the boy is uncircumcised. Walter had already been circumcised. She went to the police who said no, she was mistaken. The police in those days were so crooked and taking bribes and working for different politicians and prohibition stuff that any good press was needed. They got tore up in the Los Angeles Times a lot. So when they made the effort to reunite this boy with Christine Collins, it was big publicity. They didn't want any bad publicity. So the police chief, even though knowing that the story had holes in it and finding out that basically it wasn't her son pushed it anyway um so one night the local pre the she went on the uh, show the local priest w- ran in the los angeles area on one of the news channels got a lot of ratings they berated and picked apart the police department and laid everything out as it was a false story and they just tried to give her a kid to pass off as her own well uh the corruption level in the police department, they didn't want it to go any further than it did. So when she returned home later that night, the police had their gang unit pick her up. And she was put in a psycho ward for women where they, yeah. had, they picked up other prostitutes, other derelicts, and crazy women. And they said that all she had to do was sign a paper saying that they, she got her son... Walter, the, that kid is Walter Jr that's her son and she could be released she refused and she was <laughs> given electric shock therapy her head was shaved she was beaten heavily drugged up and just abused and left with the other psych- psychotic um, females in the ward for weeks um, upon investigation the local preacher with community activist spoke out and were wondering where she had been. She had been missing for weeks. Her job didn't know where she was. They came down hard on the cops when they found out and got a tip where she was. They got her released. And um, But she had been in there for a couple weeks to know that a lot of women were locked up for no reason. And a lot of women were locked up too because their husbands were tired of them. And they had paid a little money under the table and got their wives admitted and then got rid of them so she couldn't leave those women in there so the positive of what came out of this is she became an activist herself and she actually through the courts freed a lot of women over the years that were wrongfully uh, their civil rights were broken and uh, the fact that um, the women were falsely arrested and treated bad and they yeah they sued the city and all kinds of things were changed the police officials a lot of them were fired Um, it was a monumental case that's what came out of this is she became a super activist and she uh, yeah yeah she wronged a, or she uh, righted a lot of wrongs um but as far as the fake kid that was given to her get this he was a drifter uh his father was a drifter and they were in the chicago area and they basically he read the newspaper one day he wanted to get to los angeles he looked a lot like the walter collins kid he did his his research because he wanted to get to L.A. to hopefully meet his favorite radio show host, Howdy Doody. Um, <laughs> so he lied to get to L.A. Um, he was eventually... You get that kid credit. Yeah, and he was a good actor apparently, so <laughs> he fooled a lot of people. Um, he was eventually put in juvenile hall and then sent back to his father, which his father was already in jail for committing some crimes in Chicago. So that was a great little pickup right there, but... Um, that part of the story, though, with her being incarcerated and all the stuff that happened to Christine Collins, that's all true. They didn't mess with that story at all. That That's basically what happened. Um,
1: well, Angelina Jolie did
0: a good job with that. Yeah, she did. If you guys haven't seen it, like Gabby said, Changeling, it's an excellent movie. It's a tearjerker, too, but it's really good. Um, mm-hmm.
1: I've been telling him, too. That's why I was surprised when you said the story.
0: Yeah, now now that's your homework, Matt. You got to watch the movie. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, back on the farm, just a little while after Walter's death, Stewart would uh, return to the farm on May 16th, 1928, with two boys this time. He kidnapped Lewis and Nelson Winslow. They had been at the boys' club making model boats. They were 10 and 12 years old. Stewart showed them into the coop the same way he did Walter. Sanford had hoped people would come looking for the boys since they looked middle class or upper middle class the way they were dressed and they looked like they were well taken care of. So Stewart knew that this um, and three days later forced the two boys to write the letter to their parents saying they ran off to Mexico. And to me, that doesn't sound like a good enough alibi. You're 10 and 12 years old and you run off to Mexico and your parents are supposed to be like, okay. You know what I mean? Yeah. No. I totally agree on that
2: one.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, Sanford was left to feed them food, and he left them paper to draw on. Uh, So Sanford was trying to give them something to just forget about what was going on. Um, Sanford knew that the boys were on borrowed time, knowing things wouldn't end for them good. Um, Sanford was heartbroken, and Survivor's guilt had basically kicked in. At the same time, uh, he was still getting abused by uh, Stuart. So Stuart was abusing these kids, and then he'd come back and beat him and stuff. So some things just weren't changing. Um, So one night, Stuart took one boy and started to bash his head in and forced Samford to finish him. Then they reversed roles, and Samford beat the other boy first. Then Stuart finished that boy off. And before the oh. beatings, they had been getting sexually abused by Stuart. Um, Samford would recall that as they dug the ditch, or as he dug the ditch, they rolled the bodies into the hole that he dug, and he could hear one of the boys gasping for air. <gasps> they were, yeah, one of them was at least still one of them alive? was still, still alive. yeah. Um, Stuart then grabbed a shovel and he threw dirt on the boys, laughing at the same time. Wow. Uh, June, 1928, Stewart wanted to amp it up a bit. He signed up for the Salvation Army. He volunteered to be a mentor for kids and a place for a family hard on their luck to stay. Cause remember, this is like in the depression days around there, you know, a lot of people had it rough. Um, Mm -hmm. we're close to that time. So his plan was to kill the entire family. Um, the Doll family came to the ranch just a month later, a father, a mother, and three kids. Samford pulled him aside and said, you don't want to do this, man. You will get caught. It's way too risky. Killing an entire family is too much. He was trying to protect the family, Samford said, and it worked. After Stewart punched him, obviously, because Stewart can't be wrong, he took his beating he, deci- San- he decided Sanford was right and took the family home, saying that the house was too small for such a big family. So he took the the family, thankfully, back to the um, Salvation Army. Um, hmm. so later in well, no- they were close. yeah, they were close. He was closing in on killing all five of them. Um, so later in November of twenty uh, of uh, nineteen twenty-eight, Stewart focused on a fifteen-year-old that he had seen at the gas station. And he gave up on the fa- when he gave up on the family. His name was Stephen Black. He began to obsess over the boy. But as this was happening, Sanford's older sister, Jessie, came to the ranch unannounced. This is a couple years later, she just showed up. So concerned over the letters that didn't sound like her brother, Jessie, as she saw her brother um, in person for the first time in almost two years, he looked skinnier, had not grown, and he was dirty and appeared that his left eye was a little skittish and was just scared and he had bruises and cuts and obviously the burn mark from the water that was on his back was boiling hot water Um, she knew now that Stuart was a snake and was abusing her brother Stuart when he got home tried to keep them separated but during the two nights that she stayed there she snuck into Sanford's bed and was told everything by Sanford And about the the abuse and about the killing of the kids at first it was hard for her to believe but she knew just looking at her brother that he was telling the truth so Mm -hmm. so jesse tried to get him out by buying a bus ticket and a boat ticket up the coast but she didn't have enough money jesse called and pleaded with stewart's father george who was the only one to tell him no and she told him part of the story and surprise, surprise, the father actually believed it and without the mom being there thought for himself and decided, I have to do the right thing. Wow. So, yeah, so um, as Jeff, as Jesse, um, um, what is it? As Jesse said, meet me at the plan was for her to meet him at the, uh, or for, for him to meet her at the docks. George was going to pick up Samford while um, Stuart was away in town. And they were gonna to go to the docks, and he was gonna get dropped off there, and they would take off together back to Canada. And so, I'm what? I'm
1: expecting something bad with the way you're saying what's supposed to.
0: <laughs> yeah. See, you're catching on.
2: Uh oh, Todd.
0: Yeah. So, um, everything was working, though. Everything was going to plan. Um, as Jesse left George, uh, George would actually show up an hour later. And, she, and he picked up Samford, no questions asked. And, but as they were on their way to Los Angeles, Stewart and his convertible just happened to be driving down the same road, but the opposite way. He turned around violently and started chasing his father's car. His father's car was not a convertible, it was an older style car. And the father tried to step on it, but back then, convertibles, and even to this day, are faster than regular cars. Stewart caught up to the two, and actually forced them off the road. Um, his sa- own dad, his own father. Um, so his father had never seen him in a rage like this. He'd seen him throw tantrums. He'd seen him, you know, act like a baby and whatnot. But Samford actually used his size at this time, who was bigger than his father, and he basically said, you know, give me. Samford else you're going to get a beating of your life like he threatened his own father um the father at this time just had no you know he's out in the middle of nowhere uh Samford's not gonna stick up for himself he's a twig himself he just grabs Samford and drags him back into the convertible and they head back to um the ranch um at at this time Jesse was already at the shipyard and she was waiting for Samford she actually was told by the deckhands that if you don't get on the boat now we're going to leave you. She waited till the very last second but in her mind she kept thinking that George betrayed her, the father betrayed her, but it wasn't like that. So, a few days later she gets back to Canada and she realizes what happens because there's a letter there waiting for her from George who actually told her what happened. So, she went to immigration. This is where she's smart. Uh, in Canada. And she said that her younger brother was a Canadian citizen and was not an American at all. And for that reason, he should be transferred back to their care and brought back, back home. And she also told them of the stuff that happened. They didn't believe that Mm -hmm. all too much, but what happened was a few days later, a telegram came down to the Los Angeles police department from the Canadian consulate, that the investigations needed, there needed to be an investigation of possible homicide plus rapes. And you have an immigrant down in a Canadian immigrant in your area. You need to investigate. He's a youth or whatever. Um, the detective credit to him actually took it seriously. At first he didn't think Mm. some of the LAPD were just like, okay, this is a little overblown. seems a little far fetched. But they grabbed a group of uh, police officers, six of them, and they drove out to Wineville. And uh, as they got there, the ranch was deserted. And they searched the house, and it seemed to be empty. The only thing that was in there was a piano. Uh, One of the officers, though, had the right sense of mind to check the chicken coop. As he went in there to the chicken coop, Samford was in the corner, chained up against the chicken coop. And he looked really wow. bad. Wow. Yeah. Um, the officer picked him up after cutting the, um, the uh, chain, and he started to cry. Uh, Stewart had packed his things up three days prior and left the house, leaving the boy by himself chained up in the chicken coop to die. So uh, he
1: had been there for three days already?
0: Yeah, three days. He was already in bad shape, but Samford had put him in the chicken coop locked him up and left him to die for 3 days with no food or water. Yeah. Wow. So had the cops not shown up, he would have been an- another dead body out there. Yeah. Um Exactly. So the police rushed him to the hospital. It took 3 weeks for him to get his strength back. And as he was getting his strength back, he was talking to the police almost every day. He was shown pictures of, uh, missing or abducted children. He pointed out 20, 20. Oh,
1: wow.
0: Yes. And, um, the police were baffled. They couldn't, they, they figured that was too much. There's no way. Um, but, but, uh, Samford insisted. So on September 19th, 1928, um, at the same time while he's in in jail Stewart was arrested um, or not in jail but at the same time Sanford was in the hospital Stewart was uh, arrested at the border trying to get back into Canada uh, at his arraignment his mom took credit for Walter Collins murder and was given a life sentence she thought this would get her son off but poor Samford um, said that there was at least 20 kids murdered but before the trial and when he was up for it, they took Sanford back out to the ranch. They were able to find the clothes of four kids, and they were able to find, the uh, obviously link the Mexican body, or they thought was a Mexican little boy, to the the other three white children that were found. So there was four deaths that they can ensure, um, uh, what he caught, put to Stewart, as far as him being the murderers of, but they couldn't find any, other evidence linking the other children. So, um.
1: Did it happen like the movie where, like, he, they made him dig up to where they had buried the bodies?
0: No, that part was like for more uh, dramatic stuff. It was basically. Okay. Yeah, it was basically they had Sanford just point. And then, as okay. soon as he pointed, they dug a little bit and they were able to find bones and stuff. Um. And they actually found all the clothes of all the victims behind the house. Like, there's a picture I'll post. Where it's just it's just sitting on a rack like they're like they're hanging like like someone did the wash all the all the kids' clothes are just hanging on the rack, it's it's kind of creepy, yeah. Um, so Stewart was charged with the four murders, um, and then the abductions of the other kids were kind of up in the air. They couldn't really charge him because they had no evidence. Sanford insisted though that there was more kids that were missing, more kids that were dead. He had seen them in the car with him he, he so he figured any boy that was in the car with my uncle w- didn't survive <clears throat> so stuart was given the death sentence and was to be hanged um let's see uh, he was so stuart was uh was hanged in san quentin jail 1930 um he had one request and that was to play the favorite famous uh, or favorite phonograph piano uh, song of um his first victim that he molested the uh, Claude's younger brother way back in the day um he used to play that song for him it was called Song of Songs and he requested that boy uh, that that be played at his um hanging so he could hear that before he died and of course the prison said no cuz that would have you know given him something yeah. he he wanted um I would have said shove it up your butt Yeah exactly so like in the movie though <laughs> Um, what really does happen, too, is that Christine Collins actually visits um, Stewart in, in San Quentin just a week or, or a couple days before his, his hanging. And basically, he told Christine that he would tell her where Walter is because she kept telling the press that, I know my boy's alive, I know my boy's alive, and she kept freaking out about it. And he was supposed to give her finality and tell her that it was over and that he was killed. And even with the quartz and everything else like that, she still didn't believe it. She just wanted to hear it from his mouth. And he clammed up and didn't tell her anything. So just like in the movie, he brought her all the way out there, and he told her nothing. And she freaked out, and she wasn't going to go see his his actual, um, what do you call it, um, him put to death. But she wound up staying in town, and she was there for the hanging. So she saw him get hung. So... um Another side note, as I finish up the story real quick, is the fact that, you know, this is out by you guys, but there's also a part that links where I live, Whittier, to the story, and that is, yeah, <laughs> Samford, at this time, again, he was arrested as well, um, because he did admit to taking part in the, in the, in the uh, murders, but they did... not have arrested they did know that yeah like you said matt though but they did notice or note take the fact that he was being abused and that he was a victim for most of it so what they did is they put him in a institation, instant industrial school for kids or juveniles um that had gone through bad things or had psychological problems and that school is located in whittier you know that area where um where they were doing the um, construction for the new shopping center, by my house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right there. Yeah. Right there. No way. Yeah, because that area had been there since 1887.
2: Dang.
0: It was a school and a prison for juveniles and for troubled youth. So. Are you serious? <clears throat> yeah, he was taken there. Um, the institute helped kids and was far ahead of its time, with that uh, had gone through trauma, also. And that's the reason why Samford was sent there. Uh, he stayed there for two years and he was re- uh, released to his family in 1933. Now, here's where it gets good. Um, he, he married a woman named June McGinnis in 1935, where they stayed married till death. And in 1941, however, he enlisted in the Canadian Army and served honorably for four years for the Canadian Army till 1945. When he returned... Him and his wife wanted to have kids, but he clearly had the state of mind of not wanting to do this because of his genes, because of the murderous things that were in his genes. He did not want to pass on to his lineage and his uncle's psychotic behavior, his, you know, his, um, his mom's behavior. He felt that there was something wrong with his genes. So the honorable thing that this man did and his wife, they adopted two boys. And they raised them as their own from from uh, infancy. Mm. Um, mm. He was worried that his genes would ruin his own if he had them. So they both decided not to have children of their own, but to adopt. So they wow. helped they helped two boys that would never have had like you know a fair shake. It wasn't until yeah, it wasn't until ye- yeah, years later when his father was almost you know up in age that his. Just a chance encounter at a campfire with his oldest adopted son that he would tell him the entire story of what happened. And so, what came of this is his son wrote a book and it became a New York Times bestseller, Road Out of Hell. He wrote the book, The Memoirs of Samford. And but unfortunately, Samford died on June 20th, 19, 1991, at the age of 78. Um, just a month before the book was released Um, yeah Samford never forgave himself and would often cry and he um, he he basically had a hard time still um, thinking of the things that he did and and participated in so um, but he lived an honorable life you know his family lineage is healthy to this day you know with his sons having their kids and their kids having kids. So I think he did an honorable thing, all things considered. Um, Mm -hmm. and the last part of this story, uh, the fallout in 1930, the city of Wineville, um, like I said, in the beginning of the story uh, just got so much bad press from the massacres that took place and the possible other victims that were never found because they were never found. Those boys were never found. Um, they had to change their name and, and in one, uh, one day they just passed it in, in their local Congress of passing the, um, the changing of the name to Mira Loma, California. Um, and by the way, the land that the ranch sat on all those years ago has been mostly developed. But guess what still sits there to this day? The
1: chicken coop.
0: Nope. Ooh. The house. The actual house. The actual house is sitting the same way, and it looks the same exact way it did in 1928. And the people that live even there, now? even now, it's it, like you can see, like, there's a developed house to the left, you know, looks all nice. It looks like, you know, like any other house you would see that gets developed in Vegas or whatever, two story, whatever. And then you see this little ranch coop house just sitting on a little small land, <laughs> a one and a half bedroom home. Wow. And it's funny because if you YouTube it, a guy actually goes there, and it's a Mexican family that lives there now in the house, and they had no idea till the guy told them of what happened in that house. Wow. <laughs> yeah.
2: Where
0: is it? It. I'll give you the address, you guys. It's right off the um, right off the 15 freeway, just south of the 91. It's, yeah, it's 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 creepy to drive by it, dude. It's the exact house. So.
2: You drove by it before?
0: Yeah, I drove by it. I had to.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I was like, we might have to, too. And yeah,
1: absolutely. I, I always wondered because um, I did see the street last time, Wineville. Mm-hmm. And I thought about it. I was like, I wonder if I go down the street if I'm going to fuck in the house. But I thought, like, by now they probably destroyed it. Something else is there.
0: Now, for some reason um the land was developed around it but that house still sits there so it's it's creepy because someone took a side-by-side almost the same like um stance from the picture from the crime scene photos to now and the only difference that you could tell in the house is there's a satellite dish on the newer one that's it (laughs) (laughs) that's about it so
1: that is crazy
0: yeah. So that's the Wineville well, Chicken I mean, coop order. with
1: Stanford, I mean Stanford has I mean you would think with all that trauma it was like kinda of dangerous that he might continue that behavior because that's what he knew now.
0: Mm hmm.
1: But he did good. But yeah, now I cannot imagine living with that guilt and and the nightmares the man would go through.
0: Absolutely that's as um unimaginable terrors that he experienced. But like you said, the positives that came out of it with his family and then the positive with Christine Collins also becoming an activist and taking part in things to make changes in the city. So, I mean, there was all these atrocities, obviously, but at least there was glimmers of hope and things that, you know, um, were helpful to others in the future. But just it was just a bad time, and and that whole – this was a nationwide story at the time. You know, so it didn't just grab headlines here. Um, that's why they, they made the announcement to change the name to Mira Loma. That's why no if you're in the Mira Loma area they don't want to take any kind of credit for that part of their history. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. So
1: did the chief of police actually resign?
0: Yes, and there was also some that were fired in the in the police department as well because he was forced of forced to step down, huh? Mm-hmm that there was a whole big change because they were so, the LAPD was, I mean, if people think they were corrupt now, I mean, they were super corrupt back then.
1: Yeah.
2: That's never changed. Huh?
0: Nope. <laughs> that's crazy, man. Yeah. And in doing the research, yeah. like when you watch the movie, Matt, like, cause Gabby already could probably pick up on some of the stuff that was different from the movie, but that's mm-hmm. the actual stuff that I did research on. And, um, it's it's a little bit different. Like Clint Eastwood actually like brushed it up a bit to make it a little more dramatic, but um, mm-hmm. but there's but that's unf- the unfortunate because in in the movie he they make it like he was convicted of all twenty murders of the kids or twenty five, um, mm-hmm. but they just never found those other bodies, and Sanford Sanford said over a two year period, it doesn't make sense that he killed four only, so. I'm pretty sure he did kill more kids. It's just they never found him. And Sanford didn't know where, I guess, um, Stuart buried him. Mm. Yeah. So. What? A- well, go ahead.
1: Well, I'm glad he's dead.
0: Yes. Yes. He uh, he paid the price. He got hung. So. Sick
1: bastards exactly it's still not enough
0: time <laughs> oh i know <laughs> uh, what is we should it should
1: have castrated him first
0: i was gonna say that captain castrate over there didn't get a chance to <laughs> to take care of business <laughs> yeah,
2: <that's awesome. laughs>
0: dude i could i could just i could just uh, picture gabby with a gavel you know like as the judge and then <laughs> these sexual things come up and she's like off with his balls <laughs>
1: i <In the end. laughs> this wheelie this <laughs> exactly
0: <laughs> oh man if i if i was in front of uh judge gabby i'd be like oh crap there goes my balls or my other thing <laughs> it's, my it's over with <laughs>
1: <laughs> if you guys were sickles like that yeah for sure
2: You'd oh yeah like that. <laughs> that's, that's, that was disgusting
0: man that was disgusting yeah any final thoughts on this one
2: my, uh, my final thought is at least he paid the price and he got what he deserved, which was death. Mm-hmm. Like, I know we're not, you know, we're not judge and jury and executioner, but when stuff like that happens, there's no other picture but death. You can't help it. It's like, yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: You can't imagine, like, how disturbing the experiences the kids went through, their fear, uh, his nephew's fear,
2: all of that. Like, And then when he buried that one kid alive He was still Uh clinging to whatever air he could. That's his time
0: Yeah That's, I mean it takes a special type of demon To do something like that Oh
1: yeah uh, They should have just allowed the parents Of those kids to give him his death
0: Yeah, sort of an eye for an eye You know Yeah,
1: that's what I would see as justice Hanging him, yeah, I'm sure he suffered But That's not enough
0: it Kind of like, like I don't know how many people are listening, like, are in to reading the Bible. I don't know how many would be listening to a show like this, but my point being is mm-hmm. back then when people would do dastardly stuff like that, you get stoned to death. So, yeah, would, would my question to you two would would be stoning a good you know, way to kill a, a, an evil, dastardly person like this? You
2: know what? You know what? I would say, yeah, because technically, you'd be hung. You might feel pain for about, I don't know, maybe one minute. Hmm. But yeah, I don't know. I I, I would say stone enough, because at least that torture. Because if you torture somebody, you should feel the pain of what you're inflicting to others. That's how I feel.
0: I can't disagree.
1: I yeah. I think hanging is like. If you fall hard enough, your neck snaps. There's not much of you suffering. That's just your body's reaction. That is true. So, it's not enough to...
0: That's just like your muscles tweaking or whatever. Yeah. Yeah,
1: Yeah, so it makes me mad. Like, no, that's not enough. That person needed more, more consequences for his actions. It's not fair that people get away with doing such horrific things. And it's as simple as, oh, hang him. No! Make
0: him suffer. Make him go through what he did. Mm-hmm. And it's... Uh, some people actually felt bad for him because he was 24 years old and being sentenced so. to death. But, yeah, so, you know... It, <laughs> I don't care
2: if he was six. <laughs> those, kids, those
1: kids didn't even get to live their childhood. Yeah. What about
0: them? Yeah, I mean, and then just so many of those kids, like, were just picked up with the... The promise of candy, anim, seeing animals, things like that, and they're all gone. And they were, not, they didn't even come close to reaching their prime. And that's the sad thing. So I'm, I'm totally with you guys. There should have been a, a more dastardly way to dispose of him, but hey, it is what it is. And, and you know what?
1: It was another time, and everybody was more innocent, so it's understandable why. I mean there wasn't that much training for kids to stay away from strangers, mm-hmm. but no matter what, like, evil has existed for a very long time, so I feel like this kind of story, like, just teaches us parents a lesson, like, teach your kids, like, teach them, give them things yourself that you know they're not going to need from anybody else, because anybody that could tempt them with the dumbest thing that costs calls the child's attention, can kidnap them and kill them. And that's it. You'll never see your kids again.
0: That's so true. I mean, that's that's so something I didn't I think even think it's of.
1: important. Yeah, like, we gotta teach our kids, don't take anything from strangers. If there's something that you want, and if somebody out there offering it to you, like, don't take it. Like, yep. parents should really be on alert taking care of their kids so that there's nothing anybody can give them that would end up losing their lives.
0: yeah. And I totally agree. This is this is a story that unfortunately a lot of parents back in that time um, suffered with because they never saw their kids again. And, and look what happens today when you know kids are missing just for a couple hours. How people freak out because and rightfully so because you have monsters out there that don't care. And um, another. Oh, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. No, I was
2: gonna say another lesson learned is to actually listen to your kids. Because in the beginning, Stewart, or Sanford, kept begging his parents, like, hey, my uncle's a creepy, you know, he's a creep, I don't want to go. And even his big sister even tried to convince his parents, like, hey, you know, Sanford feels uncomfortable, maybe he shouldn't go, and they didn't listen, so that's another lesson, you know. Oh, yeah,
1: you know they fall guilty. Listen
2: to your kids, because... We don't. We we might not see certain things that they see, or might not feel certain things that they feel, and we might think, well, other oh, kids. Eh, it's all right. Sometimes you just gotta lift, sit down and just listen to what they're saying, you know, and, and you know, act on it.
0: Absolutely. I. That's another reason why I want to read that book. Um, I haven't read it yet. Rolled out of hell. I do want to read it for them. I want to see how what happens if there's more stuff that wasn't discussed in other platforms that i found it and then also how were the parents when he got back and released back into the family's care like was there any regret did they apologize because that from what i was trying to find i couldn't find a source on that so i'm i'm interested to see if the book explains that because i mean (laughs) that's more than egg on your face man you could have prevented your your son from going through that i want to find that
1: book what is it
0: called wrote out of hell road out of hell Mm -hmm. and it's it's samford yeah it's from what i heard it's a new it's a new york seller uh new york bestseller and it's also um it's very descriptive it's a really good read and i I really want to get that one myself because he he goes into detail it's his autobiography from start to finish and he goes into great detail of what happened at the chicken coop
1: Yeah, I would imagine that if I was in his situation, to be honest, I would develop a hate for my parents, and I would never want to see them again.
0: I agree. You left
2: me here to die, basically. I'd be like,
1: you listened to that creep more than you listened to me, and now look at what my life had to turn out to be. Thanks. Like, you're horrible parents. I don't need you.
0: Absolutely. I would would gladly put them away or cut them off, and then my sister would be my biggest hero. She'd be my Superman because she helped me. Yep. Yep. So if it wasn't for her, he'd be dead. That's for sure. Yeah,
1: definitely. He owed his life
0: to his sister. Mm-hmm. So that's the show. Pretty intense, Man. huh?
2: Very intense. Very intense and very disturbing as well. Thank you, sir, Todd Fox, for breaking down that story. Mm-hmm. And for those who enjoyed this story, thank you for listening in. And also, if you want to hear more from our previous recording, just follow us on Instagram, Facebook, uh Podbean, iHeartRadio, etc. Just look up Grinding True Crime Podcast and there you can find some of our, our previous uh recordings that we've done in the past. So to wrap this one up, let's call it a day. This is one of your hosts, maddie Matt, along with the narrator today. Todd Fox. And our uh, other host of the show, Gabby Gabby. And we are signing off, you guys. Have a good one and peace. Who
0: See ya.